0: This is Adam Gorney with the Respect My Decision podcast this week, joined by OU Insiders Parker Thune, uh, uh, inaugural appearance here, many to come. Um, and I like your board there. Are those press passes?
1: Uh, yes. Yeah, so these are, I got a few more to add to the board. I'm going to need a bigger cork board at a certain point in time, but that's about every credential I've ever had as a professional journalist. So,
0: yeah, uh, you know, I regret doing that. I think about it sometimes how many I would have over the years and it, uh, it would fill boxes. I, I wish I actually did do that. I, I think in my uh, later years, which are coming quickly uh, that uh, I will regret not having that because it would have been some cool stuff. Um, but we're here to talk about some guys you've seen this spring so far, some guys who you probably will see and where they kind of stand not only with Oklahoma with a lot of these guys will uh, you know, could end up there, will end up there. But uh just to kind of get your feel on them. Let's start with a guy that Oklahoma didn't get, which is actually sort of a surprise. Uh, Zedavi and Sims, a lot of people thought Oklahoma was going to end up uh, as the winner there. You know, there was all that Oregon talk for so much time. He ended up going to Oregon. How surprised were you guys and just the kind of the feel on that recruitment?
1: Yeah, well, I will say it was somewhat surprising just knowing his family dynamic and knowing his circle to see him go that far from home. Uh, and be willing to go play somewhere like Oregon that's 1,500 miles from everything he's ever known. Uh, But at the same time, the Oregon buzz, you mentioned it, it had been steady for about a month leading up to the commitment. He took his first visit up there on April 22nd. Depending upon who you believe, he committed to Oregon on that very first visit and then followed up with another unofficial shortly thereafter. But the bizarre portion of it was that he continued telling the Oklahoma staff all the way up until the morning of his decision that he was locked in with the Sooners. So classic case of a kid in his camp telling two schools what they want to hear all the way up until the 11th hour. And so uh, obviously us being on the OU side, uh, you know, we can't, Can't really doubt the sourcing uh, based on what we're hearing from the OU camp at that point. And so that's why we were a little bit more confident that it was going to be Oklahoma than Oregon. But in the end, he picks the Ducks uh, as far as where Oklahoma goes from there. They've got a number of elite interior defensive linemen on their board. Sims wasn't necessarily a backbreaker, obviously, as a blue chip player, a guy you'd like to have in the class. But Uh, Not one, I think, given the other targets on the board for Oklahoma, that they're going to spend a ton of time mopping their brows over.
0: Yeah, not to uh, throw cold water to Oregon fans here, but this just kind of get I get the sense from following these things that this might not be over yet either. You know, he's a kid who kind of came across the border from Texas to Oklahoma and now, you know, makes a decision in May. We'll see if he wants to go that far. By December, if he signs there, I doubt Oklahoma will stop recruiting him. Venables is going to go after him and that, and that staff. So it'll be interesting to see how that one plays out, um, but definitely a big win for the Ducks. Now let's talk about another interior guy, or at least the defensive line guy, and this is what makes him so um, impressive, is David Stone. Um, there's so much to go into this. Your feelings on where it stands, and and Oklahoma seems to be kind of the stalwart program as he Kind of flirts with A&M, Miami, Michigan State, Wisconsin, Washington, USC, now Florida. I mean, on and on we go, but Oklahoma stays kind of right there.
1: Yeah, well, and it's... It's understandable when you are cognizant of the fact that David Stone grew up in the Sooners' backyard, a native yeah. of Dell City, Oklahoma. It's about a 20-minute drive from Owen Field. And so Oklahoma's been there and been steady, as you mentioned, throughout the entirety of the recruitment process for David Stone. But this is a five-star defensive lineman, Adam, who's making the absolute most of the process. And yeah. what you have to keep in mind, with a guy as talented at he, as he is at a position – That is so where you see such a dearth of truly elite talent every single year. You're only going to have two or three players nationally on David Stone's level at the defensive tackle position in every single cycle. So naturally, he's going to have a pretty high dollar amount attached to his name when you start talking about the NIL offerings that these schools are going to be willing to dish out to David Stone and Oklahoma is prepared to go to bat in that capacity. But you look at some of the other schools that are involved, Texas A&M, Miami, Oregon, those three in particular, right, have just kind of been operating on a different level than everybody else in terms of NIL over the first couple of years of the post NIL legislation era. So, I feel good about where Oklahoma stands right now with David Stone. He's visited that campus umpteen times, has plenty of connections and friends within the program and headed to the program. There's a lot that ties him back to Norman and the university of Oklahoma. I don't think it's a done deal by any stretch of the imagination. And in the end, you can't really count on anything with a five-star defensive tackle until Penn hits paper on signing day, because so much can change so fast. But for now, I tend to like Oklahoma more than any other individual contender in the race for Stone.
0: Let's talk about him as a player because for years, and and I told somebody else this, I had to sort of get this out of my own mind that like he was undersized, like you know it, it was just a thing where he would show up as an eighth and ninth grader and a tenth grader and be like, man, he's a little small. He's like two fifty. He's like two sixty. He's not this big monster defensive tackle, but it almost like plays to his favor. And then I just look back like. DJ Hicks was a monster and who wasn't an absolute 310 pounder. Peter Woods was a guy I think was like measured. I I think he weighed in at like 272 at Under Armour. So like I have to get that out of my own mind. And he is just a guy who's like one of those defensive tackles who's insanely active and insanely aggressive coming off the line.
1: Well, you're fierce and you have a high motor. It doesn't really matter how much you weigh the defensive tackle position. I think David Hicks, whom you brought up, is the perfect example of that, right? I mean... There was nobody in that class. I I would say no, no single, no singular offensive lineman in the 2023 class, no matter where I saw David Hicks camp, uh, all-star showcase, whatever the case may be, there was no offensive lineman in the country that was David Hicks age that could take David Hicks one-on-one. That guy was, <laughs> he was getting past you regardless. Yeah. And it was just because, yeah, okay. He only weighed 280, but he's strong as a bull and he's mean. He yeah. is meaner than whoever he's lining up across, and I think you see a lot of those same traits with David Stone, which is part of what has elevated him to five star status pretty much across the board in the recruiting industry.
0: Now let's talk one one other thing on Stone, and then we'll move on. Um, last summer, I sat down with him at the Rivals Underclassmen Challenge, and he said that his mom didn't want him at Oklahoma, and I was like, and as the podcast was going on, I was sort of like stunned. I I didn't want to get too much into it. But the understanding that I have now is that it's not that she doesn't want him at Oklahoma. It's that she wanted him to sort of like broaden his horizons, at least consider it, and then, you know, have a circle around him at Oklahoma that was protective of him if he were to go there. Is that the sense that you're getting, not that his mom somehow hates OU or something?
1: Yeah, well, I I think that aversion was there at one point, and I think Oklahoma has done a lot to try and bridge that divide uh, with Stone's mother in particular. But he's got a lot of people in his camp that naturally have a lot of different desires, and some are pro-Oklahoma, some are not pro-Oklahoma. At the end of the day... Uh, it's going to be the kid's call one way or another, and you can never rule out somebody from that camp getting a little bit more involved than they are at this point or maybe that they should in the grand scheme. But I think what leaves Oklahoma fans quietly confident about the David Stone recruitment is that he's all—he's never been shy about professing his love for Oklahoma as a program, the affinity that he has for the Sooners and for Todd Bates and the rest of that OU coaching staff as well. So the relationships are strong there and OU has done a good job of beginning to appeal to those folks in Stones camp that maybe weren't on board with the Sooners early on in the process.
0: For all the people on the message boards who are just waiting for the new rivals rankings to come out, they, they cannot wait for them. Uh, we are meeting in a couple weeks and then by the end of June, uh, 2024 will be rolled out. Uh, someone who is going to be under very serious consideration. And if you want to read these tea leaves or interpret what I'm saying without me being able to say it as a five star contender, is Williams Nuaneri. right? As a, that's perfect. That's the way to say it. That's the there
1: way to go. Yep. For Takes many years, for
0: I mispronounced DJ Uyunga Lele's name to his face, but he was just way too nice. And the family was way too nice to correct me.
1: I'm sure um, you weren't the only one, though. Adam. I'm
0: sure I was not the only one. Uh, let's talk about him as a player and his speed and just how impressive he is. And if you buy Tennessee or Texas A&M as real contenders to OU here.
1: I buy Tennessee and Oregon as real contenders to yeah. OU. I'm not there on Texas A&M, just kind of knowing the environment that he grew up in and – uh The circle that he's surrounded himself with, I don't think Texas A&M is going to have as strong of a pull there as Tennessee and Oregon will. And obviously, OU, uh, with the relationships that they've cultivated, the natural connections they have with his teammate, Caden Green, being a current Sooner and his head coach, at least Summit North High School, Jamar Mosey, being a former Sooner. Uh, they are, and Williams will freely acknowledge this, they are where he has the strongest relationships. It's in Norman, Oklahoma for him is where the strongest relationships reside. But he is a one-of-a-kind player in this cycle, and I've likened him to Keon Keeley. I mm-hmm. think when you think about how unique Keeley was in the greater context of defensive ends edge rushers in the 2023 class that's what Neri is in the 2024 class because he's a legit six foot five 255 260 pounds depending on the week but he's fast adam yeah. that is a fast football player despite the size you get most guys that size and they're you know four eight four nine guys i was out at least summit north last week and Granted, the 40s were hand-timed, but Williams and Winery clocked a 4.63 and covered that ground in maybe 11 or 12 strides. It's like a a bear running at you almost, but he's incredibly fluid, incredibly dexterous, incredibly powerful, the complete package. And that's why I see a lot of similarities between him and Keeley because if you watched Keeley last cycle, the one thing that stood out about him was – okay, a guy that big shouldn't be moving that fast. And you watch Williams and Winery on Friday nights, you kind of get the same impression.
0: Yeah. I would be surprised if it wasn't Oklahoma, just because of all those connections, unless things go really, really South uh, this season. Uh, I would, I would be surprised. Devon Mitchell. Let's talk about one of the best looking kids in this class who looks like he's on his way to being Mr. Universe. Cause He's almost too bulked up at this point to to play tight end, but he can still move. He's still fluid. He's not like this tight, muscled up guy. I've talked to a lot of guys that, you know, a lot of football guys that are like, we don't want guys that are just completely chiseled out of muscle because it's always a hamstring. It's always a, you know, this muscle, that muscle, there's too, too much tightness there. Um, I've never had that problem impressing people, but Amon Ross St. Brown was like that. Like he was all jacked up and he, he never got hurt, but other, other guys did Mitchell as a player as, and as in, in his recruitment, he has not seemed to me like a guy that came West to stay West. I, I don't know. I could be wrong, but it seems like he wants to kind of go back.
1: No, you're 100% right, Adam, and he's very, very tight with four-star 2024 quarterback and Oklahoma commit Michael Hawkins. Those two played together for two years at Allen High School in Texas, and that's part of the reason why Oklahoma has emerged as the preeminent contender in the race for Devon Mitchell. Also, you look at the current tight end depth at Oklahoma. That room is not really where they want it to be, and so I think – The pitch to a guy like Mitchell is, hey, come in. You're instantly the most highly regarded recruit that we've signed at this position. Maybe ever, Adam. Obviously, once the reclassification process is complete and he's officially class of 2024 as opposed to 25, that's going to impact his ranking. But... Oklahoma, I would say you have to probably go back to Jermaine Gresham in the mid 2000s to find a tight end that was as ballyhooed as Devon Mitchell coming out of high school. Not not even Mark Andrews, if you'll recall, who has become an NFL pro bowler. Not even he commanded the type of attention as a recruit that Devon Mitchell has and naturally you're going to have concerns when a guy is that physically developed at that young of an age i remember there were folks that had a lot of the same concerns about brandon innis right when you're maxed out uh how much better can you realistically get but you said it with devon mitchell despite the size despite the impressive frame he still moves incredibly well. And that's why he's currently one of the top 50 prospects in the class of 2025 and is likely to remain in top 100 territory when he reclassifies.
0: Yeah, he is a, uh, he's a great looking kid. Um, yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely interesting. Last one I want to get to today is Grant Bricks and, I don't think any of us have been to Logan, Iowa. I don't know if many people have ever even known where it is. It's about, I just, I actually just had to look. It's about 40 minutes northeast, north, basically north of Omaha. Um, and he's a—he's an interesting kid because his recruitment has completely taken off the more people have just seen him. You know, like he just hasn't been to many events. And so people haven't seen him a lot. Um what, do you, what is your sense on his recruitment? He is about 40 minutes or 40, you know, an hour or so to Nebraska. He's an Iowa kid. There's definitely Notre Dame, Oklahoma involved. What's kind of your sense on where that goes?
1: Yeah, Grant Bricks, you know, it's it's so refreshing to get to cover a kid like that every now and again because he doesn't do big camps. He doesn't put his name out there. He doesn't play his recruitment up on social media. He doesn't train obsessively with ex-NFL players. Not that there's anything wrong with those things, Adam, but this is legitimately just a big, country-strong farm boy from Western Iowa. And I grew up in Omaha, spent almost all the first 18 years of my life there, so that's kind of home base for me. Uh, I never imagined I'd be going out to Logan, Iowa to check out a blue-chip football recruit, but here we are. And Grant Bricks is... Uh, I think you can tell when you sit down with the kid and you converse with him, it you almost get the sense that he's become a way more valued commodity than he ever imagined he would be as yeah. a football prospect. And he has absolutely blown up. If you haven't taken another look at his junior film, by the way, Adam, treat yourself because he is an absolute executioner. <laughs> that is yeah. so. That is some of the best film I've seen of anybody in the 2024 class. He's a fun guy to watch. But yeah. I think... And you see it with these Iowa kids in general. Midwest kids typically stay a little bit closer to home. Not in all cases, but that uh, local poll uh, generally has a lot of sway for a kid like Graham Bricks. That's why Iowa and Iowa State recruit so effectively in state, because a lot of those kids grow up either wanting to play for Iowa or wanting to play for Iowa State. The interesting thing about Bricks' recruitment is is that it seems like the two in-state schools are fading there. And he's set three... Officials, or excuse me, four officials in the month of June. He's going to be going to Oklahoma, going to be going to Nebraska, he's going to be hitting Notre Dame, and he's going to be going to Kansas State, which was his very first offer. So I tend to think uh, that this is a battle that's going to come down to OU, Nebraska, and Notre Dame. Those are kind of the three that I've identified in talking to a lot of people around the recruitment, as well as Bricks himself, as the three schools that are going to have a real legit shot, just because I think he's a really good fit uh, culturally at Oklahoma and Nebraska. And then, you know, he's a religious kid that comes from a religious family, Notre Dame, in addition to how well they develop a uh, defensive linemen, there's just kind of that allure for anybody that grew up in the church. And so that's why the fighting Irish have come into play in a big way. And I think it's, it's way too early to call official visits are going to go a long ways toward determining the outcome there, but I would say those would be the top three schools in my mind that are going to be in play down the stretch, the down the stretch for Grant Bricks, Oklahoma, Nebraska, and Notre Dame, not necessarily in that order.
0: Yeah. And, and over the years, you see, those are the kids, especially in the Midwest, but kind of everywhere that, that actually are sort of the best performers and guys that we should revisit in rankings, guys who are sort of, a enam- not enamored but like blown away by the attention that they're getting they didn't even realize it was possible to get that attention and then guys who didn't like expect it or sort of demand it on social media you know what i mean guys that are just kind of like ass kickers and wannabe ass kickers for the for the fun <laughs> of it you know so you look at like a guy like quentin nelson who never talked to anybody and did nothing and then just destroyed people at Notre Dame for years. So, all right, Parker, I appreciate the time. We're under 20 minutes. That's what I promised. Uh, This is Adam Gorney, and that is the Respect My Decision podcast.